Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. But I need y'all to understand the significance of the cultural developmental experience that is a historically Black college or university experience. There is nothing like it in the entire world. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California? and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. All right, lady, today we have a very special guest in her space, okay? I'm just going to say the name Two-Piece Spicy, all right? And if you know, you know. If you checked out season eight, episode 11, Coming to Grips with Being Enough, that you've heard this guest on the podcast before, all right? Dr. Moody is a licensed clinical psychologist, lifestyle and relationship coach, and professor. She has dedicated her work to promoting emotional, psychological, and spiritual wellness, particularly for African-American and other diverse populations, as well as increasing mental health education, awareness, and access. Dr. Moody is the co-creator and co-facilitator of the Sister Circle Experience, a therapeutic group and wellness retreat for Black women, and is currently serving as a professor at Texas Southern University. Dr. Moody, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Welcome back, shall we say. Thank you guys for having me back. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm just hoping that I'm able to kind of stay focused this time because y'all know we get it together. Then it just kind of moves on its own into its own arena. And yeah, so I'm excited about that too. So we can talk about our stuff again. And why yes. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course, we had to have you back. So our we're just going to go right on in. Our quote of the day, HBCUs, 
where the whole campus is for you and not just that one building or that one event? Goosebumps, y'all. Goosebumps. Okay. Goosebumps. Go for it. Goosebumps. It is literally for you, for you, by you. And I don't know that people really, really understand the significance of historically black colleges. And they're not just historically black colleges based on the demographics of the population that it was kind of set up to actually kind of service. But I need y'all to understand the significance of the cultural developmental experience that is a historically black college or university experience. There is nothing like it in the in entire world. Nothing like it. When, as far as my academic career is concerned, my particular career, as far as professorships are concerned, I was intentional about being present on a historically Black campus in order that I'd be able to teach and shape the developmental processes of African-American students in context. So I had the luxury, and I'm calling it a luxury, especially at this particular time, y'all, because my graduating class from high school, we just had the opportunity to have our 30th year reunion. And, you know, when I tell you the experience was insanely moving and it was a small Catholic school, all black girls. And for us to be able to 30 years later, really, really be able to understand the value of the relationships that we established, the people who were responsible for teaching us, they invested so much, not just in terms of our academic pursuits, but so much in terms of our self-development, our sense of self, our leadership skills, our sense of community and our responsibility to the community. So by the time I got out of that Xavier University's prep school for girls in New Orleans. And by the time I got out of Xavier University's prep school, I was like, where else do y'all think I'm getting ready to go in order to be able to make a difference for our people specifically? I had mm-hmm. parents who went to a historically black university had already been introduced to the culture, what that meant. And I'm a music person too. Come on, y'all now. New Orleans, Come Mardi on. Gras, marching bands, there is no topping it. So For me to have an understanding that there were people who not only were concerned about whether or not I passed the courses that I was taking while I was an undergrad, but they understood that my approach to career development was going to look very different for me as a little black girl coming out of the South, as opposed to my counterparts, my Mm -hmm. mainstream counterparts, simply by virtue of what I look like. Black and female, yes, ma'am. You're going to have to come a little different in order for you to be able to climb the ladder. So an understanding that the context of what we were learning was going to be different for us. We not only learned here, y'all, this is what the book said, but I'm going to teach y'all the history and the context and the difference that it makes for you. Why this is applicable for you. The things that you need to be aware of, mindful of, and how you need to shape your approach to matriculating these external environments in order for you to be successful because the game ain't set up for you. Mm -hmm. So having the opportunity to be empowered on that level, I remember my statistics teacher used to tell us all the time, I don't care if you're coming out of Grammar State University, you are going to have to compete with those students from Harvard. You're going to have to annihilate them. You're going to have to be able to annihilate them. Understanding that the better than everybody else, that was real life for us. I also learned that regardless of what you genuinely have the capacity to do, if you don't believe that you can pull it off, then you will never meet your potential. And a whole lot of what I was able to pull off had a lot to do with the foundation that was laid and the confidence I was able to establish because there were people who held up the mirror to my face until I was able to see what they saw before it manifested. Mm. So 
I made the investment to be on a campus where I saw that y'all know these students have the capacity to take not only our black communities across the country, but globally, there is an impact that we have the potential to make. And I'm here to seed and cultivate all of the gifts that our students have. And in the meantime, help them to really have an understanding of who they are and introduce some of us to our culture. Because can I tell you, it's a lot of us who come, you know, who've unfortunately been a little whitewashed, so to speak. I understand that, you know, a lot of times people's parents try to help to prepare them to be able to assimilate to, you know, the more mainstream environments. But honey, if you don't know nothing about your blackness, then anybody outside of you can tell you what that should look like, what it should taste like, what your presentation should be like, what it should sound like, and jack up a whole bunch of stuff for you. So I signed on to be able to do something different. I'm kind of in the business of cultivating black magic. So, yeah. So amazing, right? That is so inspiring, too, to know that you had that instilled in you at such a young age because many of us didn't. And so I guess the first question here is, what are some of the misconceptions about HBCUs or historically black colleges and universities? First misconception is that the quality of education is subpar. So let me help y'all get this all the way together. Mm -hmm. Let me me help y'all get this all the way together. Okay. come on. Come on. First of all, teaching is a labor of love. Okay, so unless you have a full professorship somewhere with a bunch of grants and all kind of other extracurricular stuff, if you go to the parking lot, especially of the liberal arts building of any university, unless perhaps it's maybe Super Ivy League, you will notice that the professor's cars don't look nothing like what the students are driving. The students are usually driving better cars than the professors are. Because you're not making a whole bunch of money sure just on not. a professor's salary. So, sure Like not. I said, unless you're doing a whole bunch of extracurricular external stuff. Now, the assumption is that, I mean, we know across the board that, I mean, especially it's coming out right now, that there have been limited resources, the great disparities in terms of resources that have been available to HBCUs as opposed to their white counterpart schools, right? Yep. So if you don't do nothing but drive by like Louisiana Tech is down the street from Grambling, you can see the massive differences <laughs> in terms of what the campuses look like, the sizes, the age of the buildings, those kind of things. So you can see the differences in terms of the resources. And a lot of times the assumption is that because they don't have any money, then clearly the quality of education that's coming out of that place can't be worth anything. When the reality is that there are a lot of gifted people who make it their intention to go back and invest in our particular communities. Not only that, but a lot of times when we are missing in certain careers or in certain disciplines, people make the assumption is that, okay, well, they weren't prepared. They're not ready. They're not smart enough. They don't have the intellectual capacity. When in actuality, it's the same systemic racist stuff that keeps us out of a whole lot of stuff that keeps us absent in a whole bunch of places as it is in so much other stuff in like the broader mainstream society. So we can't blame it on there not being enough black talent. Yeah, I know y'all have heard this recently, especially with a bunch of Fortune 500 folks kind of being called on the carpet about the lack of diversity in their employees and a lot of the throwback is, well, we can't find the black talent. You can't make me believe that's the truth because it's a whole lot of us out here, a whole lot of us right. out here. So that's the primary is that this quality of education is not as much. I can tell you this much, although we might not have the same amount of resources One of the floating jokes that a bunch of me and my alumni friends have is that if you manage to finish in Grambling for four whole years, now let me tell y'all, Grambling is in the middle of nowhere, but Grambling. Grambling is in the town 
of Gremlin, Louisiana. We didn't have a grocery store, one, when I went to Gremlin, not one. So if you were able to manage and figure it out, you had the patience of Job because you might have stood in line three days before you got registered for real. Everybody was on financial aid. So you might have been going home for Bayou Classic or Thanksgiving before you got a refund checked. And Ooh. even when it came down to, you know, what it was that you were trying to take care of with your courses, our professors wouldn't blame with us. They will not play. You will get called out. Folks will pull you by your shirt, shame you in a class and shut you all the way down in order that you took care of what your business was. So as far as those particular things were concerned, there was so much more that we came out of in terms of resilience. Patients, you can stand in line for three days like, oh, for real, everybody else died because, oh, OK, well, we didn't get our stuff right. When we ex expected to get it. But we stood in line for three days of registering Grambling. So I'm going to stand here with my sack lunch. And, you know, voting. Oh, yeah, we could do that because we stood in line in Gremlin. We were able to do that. So there were so many different things that we managed to get from Gremlin that we didn't get or we didn't have the capacity to get from other places because that stuff just kind of wasn't offered. You were adaptive because nobody was handing you anything. There was an understanding by those people who were responsible for shaping our development at that particular time in the process who understood what was waiting for us on the other side. So it wasn't just, I'm going to give these tests, I'm standing in front of this classroom and I'm going to lecture, I'm going to grade these papers and post them. That, that wasn't what it was. It was a completely different level of involvement and investment. So yeah, we came out of that being able to do all kinds of stuff. You can figure out how to get around public transportation. Where are you going to get the public transportation? Yeah, it was get it how you live for real, for real. So you learn how to navigate a whole bunch of other stuff that a lot of some of the more title students that you know, we might run across today Kind of all have. They waiting for sport to show up or it's just going to be on the computer when you know, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yeah. So we had to work for it. We were clear that nobody was going to give it to us. We we're clear about it. I love that. Right. Like how you talked about, like, just the life skills mm -hmm. that you learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And and mm -hmm. some and. Yeah. Let's be clear that some of it is based on lack of resources that. Mm -hmm. institutionally is not there. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to me, that feels representative of what it means to be black in America. A lot of times anyway. Right. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh -huh. The, Absolutely. And so, but when you think about when you put it in like a generational perspective, because you know, registration, yeah. When you were at, at Grambling registration, there was no online registration. Right. Right. Taking into account some of the technological advances and just generational changes, mm -hmm. what would you say are some of the life skills that students attending an HBCU now might be receiving? I'm thinking that as far as the differences in what the Black experience looks like, I think that the introduction to what that might look like outside of the, the very, I'm going to call it buffered experience of being at an HBCU, what that might look like outside of that, I think is kind of informing a lot of what they're experiencing right now. So on top of the, you know, first of all, we recognize that as far as technological stuff is concerned, then we might not have as many computers. Our computer labs might not be as savvy. We might not have most the, the most updated information. We might not have, even when it comes down to doing research, you know, we know as social scientists, you got to have access in order to be able to, you know, I need to be able to get these particular journals. But if your university does not have a subscription, 
to a bunch of stuff, then you don't have access to it. I think a lot of what they're figuring out is that when it comes down to what your experience is going to look like, then you're going to have to be more intentional about pushing for what it is that you want access to. So there is technology, there's other stuff as far as being able to kind of push beyond what some of let's say the more basic requirements for stuff are concerned. You know, our stuff was, think about it, bachelor's degrees carried a whole lot more weight when I was in school than they do right now. So the deal was get your stuff and get out of school and go out here and be fruitful and make some kind of contribution to the community. But what we recognize right now is that our students are being introduced to more ideas around innovation and entrepreneurship that that weren't a part of the culture that we were in school around, you know? So I think that there are more programs that kind of push them to think outside of the box that kind of focus less on being prepared to be a great employee or get a good job, but actually encourage our students to be more active in creating more innovative avenues for us to be able to pursue, for us to be able to take on leadership positions. And I think about it, you know, both of my parents were Greek, right? Um, were as if they're not here, they, they are. They're Greek. And the role that the Black Greek lettered organizations had before, in that particular, it was in the 60s, they were really active in the civil rights movement. So, in terms of the things that they were fighting for at that particular time, you recognize throughout the course of racial tensions in the United States, Black students have played a significant role in being able to make change, force change, and kind of, you know, stand and kind of push for progressive movements. In terms of what those movements are looking like right now, you know, there was voter stuff before. And OK, well, everything was you march for this and you might protest for this and you sit in for this, especially in the South. But in terms of students being more creative about how to involve themselves and being able to make actual social change is, I think, looking way different than it was looking like years before. I think that I can't say I remember the majority of my professors being like, oh, I have professors, y'all, who taught my parents. And so I remember that professors had, right. being old school, like, man, it was, hey, I remember your mama and I remember your daddy. So, you know, there were those kinds of generational differences in terms of the people who taught me, as opposed to some of the younger folks like us who were sitting in the mix, who have a bit of a different energy, vigor and perspective that we might bring into the classroom. So there are different things that we can kind of see and cultivate for our students that can help them, I think, to develop a broader sense of what their leadership role or what their role might actually be in the community and perhaps what it was that students were getting at HBCUs before. Not only that, I'm going to tell y'all, Gremlin is doing, and I'm not just shouting out Gremlin because can't nobody tell me nothing about it, but the, the reality is that as far as my experience in a bunch of historically Black schools has been, Everybody kind of has their stuff. Some people are more progressive in certain seasons. But in terms of what's happening, I recognize that the president of Gremlin right now, Dr. Rick Gallo, is a Gremlinite as in his mom was the dean of the department where I got my master's from. His daddy had a barbershop in the village where I used to get my eyebrows done. And so, I mean, he was born and bred there. And he came out Gremlin. So understanding the significance of the input and consultation and collaboration with students and determining where the university is going to go is different now than it was before. There's a whole, he is available, he's open, he's accessible, and he's visible. He wasn't like the ghost man on the hill that you only saw when it came time for a lyceum and all of these very specific kinds of pomp and circumstance events, but he's a person whose presence 
is very visible and the students have a voice. They have more of a voice now than they had before. And I think that makes a significant difference in terms of determining whether or not you get more of an active voice with other students who have the potential to be Gremlin students, you know, potential Gremlin students. And in addition to that, it also helps the world to have a very different perspective of the students who are coming out. You know, so some folks are coming out of school and okay, all you know is that, well, this one has a degree from this particular place, but we're seeing a bunch of folks who are coming out of HBCUs, y'all, who are doing major, major, I'm not going to talk, I ain't going to even bring up the Stacey Abrams and the Keisha Lance Bottoms and the Kamala Harris's right now because we recognize that those are with the product. But the reality is that, y'all, that's been, that's like, it, and they're not as much of an anomaly as people would like to believe. We've been working behind the scenes. We've been working behind the scenes. So in terms of our students' preparation for leadership, what they're getting now, I think, is helping them to have a more well-rounded capacity to get out, innovate, and be able to shape what's happening in the world around us, as opposed to just kind of being able to come out and be successful, you know, be able to, you know, kind of sustain, make a bit of a contribution. But no, I think that most of the HBCUs right now are giving students an opportunity and better equipping us to be actual change agents. And I'm excited. That's what I'm trying to be a part of because y'all, the status quo, come on, ain't got us nowhere yet. Right. We holding on to that for it wasn't set up for us. It doesn't benefit us. So yeah, I'm here to make it be something different. That is so exciting. And I think that community feel is so important as well to make students feel connected and also to give them an opportunity to have advocates and sponsors who can mm-hmm. really assist them after they graduate. Now, mm-hmm. I have a question. I'm curious to know what you two are going to feel, how you two are going to feel about this. But I have my own epiphanies and experiences with this, but I want to know what you think. So for those African-American or Black identified students who may have grown up in predominantly white areas, right? Mm -hmm. Like myself, right? Mm -hmm. Predominantly white areas. I find that sometimes there's this misconception that they may not feel, they may not be accepted Mm -hmm. in an all black space, or there may be an intimidation being in an all black space because sometimes there's this idea that black people are monolithic, even within our community. And you feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, there may not be nerds like me, or there may not be people who are quirky like me. What Mm -hmm. do you have to say to those students who, may want to go to an HBCU, but they're intimidated. And they're like, I don't know if I'll be, if I can be my full self around my people because I've been around white people or others for so long. Mm-hmm. I think a huge part of the value of the develop, the social development that you can get from historically black college is that it can help you, first of all, to recognize and confirm that no, it's, it's not a monolith. It's not. Second of all, it helps you to develop the skills that you need to be able to determine who your tribe is. Your tribe might not necessarily be the cool people who at the union in front of the union for all of the events, who get all of the, you know, who folks are actually trying to recruit for their fraternities and sororities and all the rest of this kind of stuff. You might end up being the SGA people. You know, you might end up being the people who, okay, well, we are just a little group over here who's responsible for doing community outreach. We go out and do stuff for the kids at the high schools, that kind of stuff, or we do stuff for the elderly folks who live in the community environment. So I think it helps folks to be able to figure out what those particular, the development of those particular relationships are and to help to really, really shape the foundation of your identity. You move, especially if you have the opportunity to get away from home and from the environment that has worked so intentionally to shape you into who you show up as when you get to school. 
your mama, if your mama is not in the mix, if your dad is not in the mix, the aunts, the people who live in your neighborhood, the church that you go to, then there's an opportunity for people to try on these, I want to call them like jackets. I can put on this week if I decide I'm going to be goth. And I'm going to hang out with these particular people. You have the opportunity to have the experience exclusive of the influence of the folks who want you to be a certain way to figure out, yeah, no, that don't work for me. If you're over here and I decide that I want to be, I'm with the Baptist Student Union folks over here and I'm going to be the evangelist and we're part of the, you know, the abstinence group. And you decide, yeah, um, that's not for me. I'm cool on that. I don't have that to do either. It gives folks an opportunity to be able to try on those bits and pieces so that they can figure out what actually works for them. And those are the pieces that help you to be able to determine what your tribe is. And when folks see you struggling, much like me and Dominique do, <laughs> we, we will get together on us. Like, what is going on with such and such? Uh, something is something going on behind the scenes because we recognize those things have implications for what our students are bringing in the classroom and what their academic performance looks like. So, you know, there's an opportunity for you to be able to connect and, men- and be mentored by people who look like where you want to be, who can snatch you and let you know. Hey, this is you're going in the wrong direction. You say you want this, you might want to reconsider. So it's a playground, so to speak, that helps folks to be able to come in and figure out what their blackness looks like. My blackness might not necessarily be, okay, well, you know, I got locks that go to the floor that I've been growing for however many years, or that, you know, I wear my hair natural and I have like a fade, or I come in with a perm and, you know, dress like the girls who down the street in the white sorority house. Whatever your blackness looks like, it gives you an opportunity for you to be able to come in and try those things on. With And, you know, of course, we're individuals, too. So there are going to be some folks who are going to be judgmental. You got to think about mm-hmm. it. It's, we, it's just with adolescence being a bit more extended now than it has historically been. You're going to still have the little folks who are going to have stuff to say. Yes. And you're going to find out what establishing, maintaining, and losing friendships is all about. All the rest mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. But it helps to shore up your identity. So you can be stronger in who you are. So you don't have to go there with all of you. There's a lot of folks who are going to come there with their black stuff already tied up together. And it's going to be some folks who will get there and figure out that what you thought was black ain't black. Yes. For real. So I don't know that people recognize the significance of that particular developmental stage for black students or black identified students who are getting ready to go out and to matriculate in this world that is set up for you to not have access. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head, Dr. Moody. Now, I do want to say, although I did not have the privilege of attending an HBCU in school, I did have a chance to work at an HBCU. And it mm-hmm. was one of the best experiences I've ever had, being able to just be in that space. Because I feel like we have a certain swag and vibe when we get together. And I did end up realizing that, oh, there's a place for me here. Even though I had a different upbringing and I was raised around certain people, there's a place for me here. And so I'm so glad you you hit on that point because it's so true. I think it's a great developmental experience for sure. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And I also noticed that there are a lot of my classmates who aren't Greek. But I want to say we've had some of this conversation before, too, Dom, that there are a lot of people that we know from New Orleans who are went to school and not Greek. Right. And it's like, well, what do you think a lot of that might be about? Another one of my girlfriends and I, you know, kind of talks about it. And we think that there is more of an intact identity, not that it's a bad thing, but a lot of people who get into Greek organizations looking for an identity. They're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for a way to be. And a lot of us aren't necessarily having that particular search. 
especially right. if you've already been fortified before. So, and it's not necessarily because, you know, you know, like I said, as far as my understanding, my historical understanding of the necessity of those particular organizations, they pl- they played a significant role in being able to lay foundation for a lot of the freedoms that right. we're able to exercise and engage in right now that we benefit from. But I also know, I can tell y'all from some of, you know, some of just in terms of the stuff that I've seen go down for the sake of people being involved or, you know, the pledging. All right, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. When it comes down to some of the degradation and some of the hazing stuff, it's like, if you, how are you going to dehumanize somebody? And then you want them after the fact to be able to call you sister. And I'm supposed to be able to, I'm like, come on now, y'all, y'all got to. And it's just the folks who are more fortified and who are more clear and like really, really secure who they are. They, they look, if I don't need that, I don't know. We're not doing it. Cause trust me, we're not going to be cool after the fact. You're just not going to be a part of my tribe. We're not going to be cool. And you just not, I'm not getting ready to do the, the extra crazy stuff. Yeah. So it, it, it is, it's an opportunity for you to kind of figure out what those things look like. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I will say too, that I think Some of it also like being a part of Greek organizations is about like social standing. Right. Mm -hmm. If we think about like Mm -hmm. the historical perspective of, okay, this is a representation of upward mobility. Mm -hmm. It's it feels like and, you know, I'm sure our friends that are Greek may correct us on this, but Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it feels like participation in like being a part of the links or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. having your kids in Jack and Jill. And Mm -hmm. it's those ways Mm -hmm. in which to connect with other black folks out Mm -hmm. and then outside of the college experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. Once you graduate, you move. It's it's more about like, okay, I can move anywhere in the country, anywhere in the mm-hmm. world, really. Mm-hmm. And I can say if I'm in a if I'm a part of this Greek org, I use that as a way to find easily find community. Right. Yeah. So when yeah. I think about what that means, like if as an adult moving to a different city, mm-hmm. and you know how we try to figure out that and this is a whole conversation for another day of like finding mm-hmm. friends as adults right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it feels like being my, my my take or my perception on it is that if you're greek if you're part of a greek organization then that makes that process a little bit easier right yeah it's about it's it's yeah. about like easing of networking mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. but i want to shift back a little bit to you know what we were talking about earlier about like Terry, what you mentioned around working at an HBCU, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. about that experience and like contrasting it between working at an HBCU versus working at a PWI, predominantly white institution, Mm -hmm. and just the level of community, like the instant community, right? There's just a, Mm -hmm. there's something just qualitatively different about that experience, right? Mm-hmm. Working mm-hmm. at a PWI, mm-hmm. you seek out and you you join mm-hmm. like the black faculty and staff council community, whatever, whatever name they use for black faculty and staff to gather, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas at an HBCU, that's not to say you don't have people from other backgrounds working there, because you do, mm-hmm. but it's built in, 
right? And the level of comfort and safety. Like I literally recall a specific instance where when that previous president had gotten elected, right? The day after, and I walk in the department and every single one of us was wearing black. Every single mm-hmm. one of us. And we all, and nobody had had a conversation with one another mm-hmm. about it. We mm-hmm. all came in wearing black, like we were at a funeral because we were mm-hmm. all in mourning. And it's that <sighs> level of unspoken community and connection mm-hmm. that you cannot get anywhere else. Cause it's literally right in your department. If you're at a PWI, mm-hmm. it's more like, well, I got to call, I got to send out a text message or an email thread to the folks mm-hmm. because we all are scattered. And so for us to all know, like we, like there's all this extra level of stuff that has to happen. Right. Whereas, and the, and I'm only, I can only speak from my experience. Right. Mm-hmm. But just mm-hmm. like that type of engagement, like that connection, you yeah. can't get anywhere else. <sighs> yeah. And to consider, because we too are black people in America, mm-hmm. like identify people in America, you're going into the classrooms with your students who are having similar experiences. Yes. How you stand up and I'm getting ready to lecture on social psychology, but I'm not going to address the gloom in the room. That part. Come on. Right? Just business as not, usual. Yeah. We just going to act like it didn't happen. We're just going to act like, yeah, no, we're not. The George Floyd stuff. Yes. With the handful of black students, the black handful of black males who managed to get into a university as opposed to in prison, (laughs) be filtered into the prison industrial complex, not have a conversation about it. We're going to talk about statistics in ANOVAS. That's 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 what we're going to talk about. The notion that our collective reality is ever present. The collective reality is ever present. So if I'm stomping down the hallway because something crazy has happened in our collective world, then that's going to be the foundation of whatever conversation is that we're going to have. This other stuff, we're going to place the content on top of it. But the reality is that if I can't access the learning because I am having a racialized, trumped, traumatic experience that I'm trying to process, I need for somebody to actually be able to validate that that's happening to me right now. And that my world is going to have to center around that right now. Yes. You're not generally going to get that at the primarily white institutions, unless you have some of us who, you know, who kind of make the sacrifice to be in those particular places specifically to service our students. But other than that, yeah, no. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The the sacrificial lambs, the sacrificial lambs. Yeah. But it's, it's a reality that, I mean, you get to talk about what it really is. And I've gotten to a place Honestly, you know, I'm kind of past sugarcoating stuff because if some folks got some issues with what Dr. Buddha said and she expressed such and such, you go talk to the Vita and you go check it out. If you got some issues with my credentials or whatever, then you need to go look at the paperwork. Go look at the paperwork. But as long as I'm doing what it is that I'm supposed to be doing, don't come approach me about how I'm doing it because I have a certain level of, of autonomy that allows me to be able to shape my pedagogy to give my students what they need in a way that's going to make it the most valuable and applicable for them. You better go ahead. Hmm. Y'all not get ready to tell me I can't talk about what's going on. Come on now. 
Yeah. Dr. Moody, is there anything that we didn't cover that you would definitely want someone to know who is considering either attending an HBCU, working at one, or even encouraging their child to attend one? Anything else? Go see. Go see. Yep. I have been, and y'all know, now, homecoming. Oh, oh, OMG. Listen, we all know. We know. to a black, go to an HBCU homecoming. Yes. Go to an HBCU homecoming yes. and you want to see generations of oceans of black people. The, it's the, it is the family reunion for a reason. Yes. I see people actually, me and my brother are, me and my brother are actually preparing to ride um, the zoo parade next year, right? And so we're just kind of talking about our throws and stuff. And like last year, I must have had a bajillion grambling coconuts and just all kind of. And when I saw people, I had to know you from Adam. Old people, young people, babies with grambling paraphernalia on. It was just like, oh, instant immediate connection. I see people all over the world. What you know about that G? What you know about that G? So there, there are things about the experience, the cultural experience that will pull you in. There's reasons why. You can't find them at a park during Howard's homecoming in hmm. D.C. There are reasons why people flock in to schools like North Carolina and A&T for homecoming. It's reasons yes. why people up the street at Prairie View making so much noise. You can hear them down 290, making all of the noise down the street. And that's not and not all of them are alum. Right. Not all of them are alum. So the significance of these particular experiences makes a difference. And now you can go to you can go to U of H homecoming if you want to. Pay attention to what happens during a football game. Mm. At the at the well, most of the primarily white institutions, folks get up and go to the concession stand. During, what, half during halftime. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Everybody fighting and scrambling to get to the front. Not at HBCU. HBCU you not halftime. Half no, you, you, you might no. not watch any of the football game itself. Might not show up H- till halftime. Yeah, you might exactly. not show up till halftime. <laughs> yes. Yes. But that's the reality. And I don't think that people recognize that our historically black institutions have, they have laid the foundation that is allowed for the development, I mean, like, sure, there's social stratification across, you know, black communities, but the development of black middle and upper class, the HBCUs have, they lay the foundation for that. Yep, That's been the avenue for that. Because what I also recognize um, being in Louisiana, coming from a blue ribbon high school there where, you know, the girls who came from prep, it was like, you know, it was kind of carte blanche. There were a lot of us who were able to just kind of go anywhere they wanted to in terms of being able to go to school, right? Because, I mean, it was just like some of the top performing students. But I recognized that there were some schools in Louisiana that would take students in, but the black students didn't graduate. Yes. Or you would be there for a million years, all kind of switching majors, taking random courses, not passing stuff. And by the time they get out, you got almost 200 credits with a bachelor's degree in math and general studies with no guidance, no guidance. So in terms of the difference that this stuff makes, I mean, we have people who are invested. And guess what? Like I said, unless you connect to the right folks in the right places, you're not there because of the money. Sure not. You're there to make a difference. Yep. So the difference that we make is not only based in our pedagogy, the way that we present the information, the context so that students understand that for our business students, you need to understand what being a business person in these particular entities is going to look like for you, black man with locks, hmm. what it's going to look like for you, black woman with a fade. 
that kind of stuff. You're trying to go to medical school and you're trying to get in, you're taking an MCAT and you're trying to get these internships or the rest of this other kind of stuff. And your first name is Malik or Rashida. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or a head wrap or a head wrap. Yep. Come yeah. on. Right. 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 So there's an opportunity for us. And I've had other people to tell me that when they've engaged students who graduated from HBCUs as opposed to students who graduated from PWIs in the same context that the HBCU students do have a bit of a different kind of confidence and swag about them because it's something that's cultivated there. So even if you come out and end up doing something altogether different, you think about it, the confidence to be able to switch, make adjustments when something doesn't work has to come from you believing that you have the capacity to be successful at something. This didn't work then I can switch in there. If there isn't a place for me, then we're more inclined to be able to find or create one. So go see, go see. There you go. go talk you to the people, talk go to, to the events, yes. Home, homecoming, go to the football games. Ooh, yeah. I homecoming. love it. Uh-huh. Ooh, yeah. I got some go propositions there. Now, now, Dr. Moody, you already know what's coming next, but we might have some new listeners that may not know what's about to go down. Mm-hmm. So lady, Because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet, you can still be elegant and dance to strip club music. Dr. Moody, we want to invite you back to the OU Clatchet segment. So do you take on the challenge? I absolutely do. Yes. (laughs) All right. All right. That's what we like to hear. All right, two-piece spicy. Mm -hmm. Let's do Mm -hmm. it. That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right. So... The first question, what's the most embarrassing thing that you've done to get a crush's attention? To can I tell y'all that I went to Gremlin with the high school boyfriend, graduated from Gremlin with the high school. It was so that 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 wasn't. Yeah, but I'm embarrassed easy. So I don't know because I'll strike up a conversation. I don't you know, I'll say something about your shoes, your shoulders. Okay, let me find out. I'll ask you, who you got them eyes from? Where you got that? Who's responsible for that smile? Because you need to call them at right now and tell them to thank you. Uh-huh, you need to tell them So, I don't, but you know, the thing is, it's it's authentic because if it's aligned and you can't, there's no follow through. You got to kind of figure right. out kind of how to carry the conversation. But if there's something that grabs my attention, I ask them, braces or no braces? Because your teeth are beautiful. I'm trying to understand. What did you, what did you born with the teeth or did somebody pay for them? I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Why do you need those lashes? You don't need those lashes. You don't need those. Why do you need those lashes? I got on Maybelline, but look at your lashes. You don't need those lashes. It's not fair and I'm upset. So yeah, I haven't, I can't, yeah, sadly, I don't embarrass easy. <laughs> I, embarrass I love easy. it. That was, yeah, those were good. I like that. What about this? What is the sexiest item that you own? We had a juicy one last time. They had to tell us after the show. So what is yours, Dr. Moody? All I'm going to say is there's this dress. Oh, it's a dress. Okay. 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 It's a dress. All right. There's this, there's this dress. And then the shoes that go with the dress. Yeah. I think it's almost illegal. Yeah. Yeah. It should be legal on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's a dress. Okay. There's a dress. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a dress. I can only imagine. I think that was enough. Mm, yes. A whole dress. Yes. Right. A dress. I got you. I got yes. you. Yeah, there's a dress. Yes. It's low in the right places, high in the right places. Yeah, there's a dress. 
there's a dress. Yeah. And you know, we know that it's not so much what you wear, but how you wear it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a dress. Mm -hmm. Well, when you Mm -hmm. wear that dress, you be sure to share it on the the gram. Be sure. Okay. Okay. You know? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Hashtag thirst trapping. Yes. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. There's a dress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, what do you love most about yourself? I consider myself to be a constellation of mismatches. I like, I am the consummate oxymoron. There's so much about me that does not match, but I, I love that I was divinely created to be all of that at one time. And so I love that I've embraced that and that I am excited and happy about the fact that I can sing with Tasha Cobbs, Leonard, and Kiara shared in the praise and worship. And then I could come over here and take over cash money for the nine nine yes, for the two thousand. Yep, yep. I love it. I love it. I can have I can sit down and have conversations with my daddy about whatever the saints are doing to self sabotage themselves in the first half of the last game of the god doggone playoffs if we don't get it together and cuss and throw papers and stuff at the television. But I can also sit down at the grandest table with the most intellectual diplomats, particularly in my discipline, and have conversations about why we need to be concerned about the psychological and emotional wellness of black identified folks. So it's I, I think I believe I'm, I'm all of the reaches. I'm all of the outliers at one time. And I recognize that that's by divine design took me a long time to be able to let go and be able to make sense out of all of these pieces but now that I'm kind of able to see the bigger piece of the puzzle that it's all intentional I am so excited about all of those little pieces and I feel like you know uh, the people who can see my dimensions and value that that's beautiful and those for those who don't I recognize I'm not everybody's brand of beautiful and that's cute but for those who value it high five I do too so you can kind of stick around and other ones can keep it moving Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh! So you clutch it? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I was like, okay, she's multi-dimensional, multi-dimensional. I love it. Yes. Now, Doctor Movie, where can our listeners find you and learn more about you and your work and just get connected with you? This was so you amazing. All, you all can connect with me. I am online www.drjanismoody.com. That is www.drjan. N I S M O O D Y dot C O M. Y'all come and check me out. Come and check me out. And there's some stuff coming up soon. So y'all, all y'all are absolutely positively encouraging me to kind of lend my voice more often than I have been doing. So yeah, there's some other spaces that I'm hoping to be able to engage folks who are interested in some of the content, some of the stuff that I've been doing, and some additional opportunities for conversation about the stuff that matters. So yeah, stay tuned to drmoody.com. I love it. We are here for it. Now, lady, we are going to keep this conversation going in the after show because Mm -hmm. we want to get some of that inside scoop on what really went down at the homecoming. So, honey, you if you Mm -hmm. want to catch some of this, you Mm -hmm. have to find us on the after show. And Mm -hmm. on the after show, you can subscribe via Spotify or Anchor. Or you can visit our website at herspace.com, select Wisdom Wednesdays with Terry on Patreon, and become a subscriber that way so that you can get access not only to the audio, 
but to the video of the after show. And if you really trying to be a Cultivating Her Space podcast sister friend, for the low, low price of $10, you can get this entire episode, audio and video. So check us out. Hey, lady. It's Terry here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your impactful podcast and how you can generate multiple streams of income. You can visit podcastwithterry.com to register for free. I hope to see you there. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website, cultivatingherspace.com, and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Greatness is my birthright, so I no longer ask for permission.